0: Hey, just a heads up that the following content may be disturbing or triggering for some listeners and is not appropriate for children. Please take care of yourself and others who may be listening with you. Welcome to the Bonus Babies Podcast, a show that has no easy answers, only hard questions.
1: I don't think shame does us any good, but, you know, admitting it is the first step, you know, like admitting just that I'm behind. We, we we need help. We, we We're not... We can't just be expected to um, deal with everything ourselves, especially a country like America. I mean, you guys are the the cultural metronome for the rest of the world. You are the largest economy of the world. There's so much riding on your shoulders. And we know that the current political situation is in um, the states I've never seen, you know, a country in so much pain and so fractured. As, as America is at the moment, you know. But believe you me and hear me hear me as loud as I can say it. In these situations of schism and in these situations of conflict, this is where the abusers breed. This is how they grow. Every situation of turmoil is a situation of opportunity for the people of our violent desires against our children.
0: Can you tell me what you call the kids who you've cared for over the years? We feel that the children that we receive coming into our home are bonuses. So we call them bonus babies. I love that. This is your host, Jane Amelia Larson, and I'm ACASA, a court-appointed special advocate volunteer for youth in foster care. Yeah, I know, it's a mouthful. In the same way CASA works, I explore all things in the foster care maze by talking to kids, parents, caregivers, attorneys, social workers, therapists, really anybody and everybody who will speak to me to keep the conversation open and the information flowing about all things CASA.
2: Hi, this is Jake Everly, the producer of the Bonus Babies podcast. And today, Jane Amelia speaks with Akeem Dev. Akeem Dev is a filmmaker whose documentary, The Children in the Pictures, takes us inside Task Force Argos, a renowned Australian-based police investigative team as they go undercover to rescue children from online sexual exploitation and abuse. Since 2009, Task Force Argos have identified and rescued over 1,100 children from their abusers. Dev says, for those children in the pictures and the extraordinary police officers trying to rescue them, I knew this story had to be told. From infiltrating global criminal networks to hunting down the world's worst abusers, the Argos team shines a light on the dark reality of online sexual abuse and the fight we all face in stopping it. Here's Akim Dev.
0: We're talking with Akim Dev from across the world. May I call you Dev? Sure. Yeah, that's what you like, right?
1: <laughs> Everyone calls me Dev, yeah.
0: Okay. Uh, so can you tell me a little bit about how you were born? What? what is your family of origin?
1: My family of origin? um, Well, we're first generation immigrants from India to Australia. So all my family, including myself, we were all born in uh, India, uh, in the south of India. I guess you'd say we were born into a family of uh, privilege. Um, My grandfather was the governor of Maharashtra, Bombay, in the 1960s. So we had a Pretty uh, comfortable life back in India. Both my parents are professionals, uh, so we came out to Australia in the seventies. Which, <laughs> believe it or not, was still uh, the official government immigration policy was the white Australia policy. <laughs> so uh, you had to have a.
0: I'm sorry, what like? You had to have a dam- like W O T.
1: No white. White. As in the color. White. <laughs> yeah. White. Oh wow! Really. Yeah, yeah. That only stopped in nineteen seventy-five. So um, you know, they wanted they, they kind of wanted a homogenous sort of society, but um they after World War Two there was a lack of um skilled migrants, um, skilled professionals in Australia. Anyway, the population was pretty small. So um as opposed to our uh, the normal sort of uh Indian diaspora like heading to UK or America or Canada, we went to Australia.
0: Went to Oz, right. And so do you have brothers and sisters?
1: Yeah. I do. I've got a, um, a big brother and a big sister. They're both, well, my brother's in Edinburgh and my sister's in Melbourne.
0: Right. And in, in your own family of origin, were your parents together? Did they stay together?
1: No, they didn't actually. Um, they separated in my mid-20s.
0: Mm, that happened to me too and uh, it's 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 never nice even if you're grown up,
1: right? <laughs> I think it could be worse sometimes, you know. Um, it's such a kind of shock to the system. I think, you know, kids are so incredibly resilient um, that I think when it happens at an early age, I think there's a lot more acceptance around it. I think um, <laughs> my family at times, my siblings and myself, you know, we still scratch our heads, um, wondering about it. But um, yeah, my mum passed on uh, about twenty odd years ago. So
0: wow, she was young. Wow.
1: Yeah, she was only sixty. She was only sixty, and my brother just turned sixty this year. So really puts it into perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, but um, right. So, are you married with kids? No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm a father of two. Mm-hmm. I've got a 22-year-old and I've got a seven-year-old.
0: Come on. <laughs> both, tw- 22. Both to different
1: women. Both are different women. <laughs> are different women. <laughs> I didn't wait till the oldest one was old enough to babysit before I went again. Um,
0: oh. No, two, um, That's two,
1: funny. Two beautiful, beautiful women um, who are great mums. And we, yeah, we all kind of do our best to, uh, you know, make sure that it's kind of a modern family, you know, an mm-hmm. extended modern mm-hmm. family. We have our ups and downs, no doubt. Seems like um, the common denominator that they've all got is um, they all think that I'm a piece of work. <laughs>
0: of course. Which you probably <laughs> are, right? <laughs> but yeah, go <laughs> oh, no, ahead. You know, In my yeah. moments, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: That's the reason why I'm single. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. So the way that we met is I saw your very powerful film, The Children in the Pictures, and you said something during that. There was a panel at Fox. You said something during the panel that I, so struck me, and you said during the making of that movie you actually had a panic attack. Can you tell me about that?
2: Uh,
1: yeah. Or a I breakdown. Think I was trying to yeah. downplay. It. Yeah, it was a breakdown. It was a breakdown. There's no other way to put it. Um, I didn't always look like, you know, I've got a, a lovely white beard at the moment, which, um, wasn't the case when I first started in, uh, working on this documentary. In fact, you know, my, I went white pretty quickly and my, you know, my mental health professionals believe that it's definitely PTSD related. Um, it's something that I share with a lot of the investigators in the in the documentary and a lot of the investigators that I've met in the field. But, um, I mean, look, I think the long and the short of it is that um, the material is so toxic that if you don't have a sexual attraction to children and you see what these abusers do to these kids, often... Pre speech or even younger it's it's horrific, and i'm not a I'm not a fresh faced schoolboy, you know like i've been around i've been to war zones, I was on the ground in India when the tsunami hit, and I'd seen death and destruction I've seen violence um despair, addiction, nothing compares to this, nothing compares to the the horror of um, seeing something so vulnerable and powerless as a child um, being abused in the ways that they can be abused. And unfortunately, the material that I was exposed to is kind of being regarded as universally some of the worst material that is available Um, It's on the very far end of the spectrum of abuse uh, and unfortunately was committed against a child that was the same age as my daughter at the time and without going into any detail, which I kind of refuse to do, but um, to give you an indication of how bad it was, like the investigators didn't think that they would find that child alive. They did. There's a... (laughs) Uh, happy ending to the story. The abuser was arrested, and the child was rescued. but um, the abuse that was committed against that child was horrific
0: right So let me go back and ask you. I know that you got the idea to make the film as a result of exploring recidivism uh, with incarcerated mm. peoples right so how how did that come about
1: mm. Um, A very long story, actually, and not one that I really get to tell in that much detail, but um, I had a form of hepatitis that was um, rampaging through my body. So I had basically cirrhosis that was developing, and um, my sister is one of the world's leading gastroenterologists Believe it or not wow. um, but because my mother did pass away so young, I kind of felt i I didn't want to put her under the highball, so um she told me about uh, new treatments that were coming available on the market um but they were that they, they were um, still in their testing phases, and um you know <laughs> a lot of the times with um pharmaceutical trials especially with hepatitis they tested on um i guess society's most expendable so a lot of people who do have hepatitis are drug addicts and people from a lower socioeconomic background so um i found out about this trial at a methadone clinic i went in there and i told them that i didn't have any addiction issues i mean apart from like recreational dabbling but I got on a trial. Long story short, I got on a trial and I was saved. And ironically, it was the trial my sister worked on. But yeah, there I met a whole bunch of guys who were in my same cohort. And a lot of them were ex-prisoners. And I just became fascinated. You know, When I heard the statistic that um, if you have a high-level recidivism score, you've got an 80% chance of being back in prison within two years. I just became fascinated by, um, yeah, that process of being given your freedom and then having it taken away from you again, usually by your own actions. But right. what would cause that? What would cause somebody to go in and out of prison all that time? You know, we, don't, we know that prisons are horrible places. And then I kind of realised that, you know, like a lot of these people were born into it, you know. That's right. There wasn't um, much of an option. And it was in a protective custody unit that I met my first child abuser, who I think was actually born into it too. You know, he was somebody that I would describe now as a pedophile, somebody with a primary attraction to prepubescent children, a pedophile. Strict clinical definition. I mean, I think we, we, um, we bandy about that term, pedophile, a bit too much um i don't even like using the term pedophile when it when it comes to people who commit these crimes i think it doesn't matter whether they're pedophiles or what their motivation is they're still child sex offenders so i think the definition of it needs to be clarified but um even this guy was horrified by the amount of um child abuse material that was online
0: oh sorry sorry so he was horrified by
1: it yeah 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 he um he, he was he, he was an older gentleman so I, I think he'd sort of, you know, seen um, the ability of the internet to facilitate child abuse. It wasn't, you know, back in the old days where you'd try and meet someone with a similar interest and exchange pictures. I mean, a lot of the times the abuse was just kept to yourself. It doesn't mean that you wouldn't take records or mementos of it, but exchanging that material, that was kind of something else.
0: Right, and now it's a huge market right now it's a it's a it's a huge well, inter- <laughs> yeah. you
1: know look the internet the internet does what it says on the packet you know it brings people together um it unites people of any persuasion, good or bad, and um this was always going to be a natural safe haven for child sex offenders to exchange their material and you know encourage their their purient interests, but also develop community, you know, develop a community, develop, yeah, a network where they could um, normalize that behavior.
0: Right. And we are talking about millions and millions and millions of people, not a few weirdos that you're never going to come across, but millions of people all over the world.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, in the documentary, we had a look at one network that had about 50 people in the, in the network but still managed to abuse hundreds of children. Then the next network that we had a look at that was on the dark web had 45,000 members. Um, there's one that's just recently been taken down that had um, over 3 million.
0: Mm. And I I know you go over this, you really lay it out in the documentary how uh, the exchange of the child sex exploitation uh, images, um, all the media, how how it how it happens, how it propagates, but you also explore, I think, so well the task force that is trying to make a dent in this horrific commercial exploit. Can you can you tell me about Team Argos?
1: Yeah, Team Argos, headed up by John Rouse and Paul Griffiths. Um, Look, it was one of those amazing opportunities to talk to people who were, number one, very, very good at their job, very skilled investigators, um, internationally recognised for their uh, techniques and practices and knowledge to the point where they were heads at, at an Interpol level. But from a storytelling perspective, their kind of police careers were the history of the internet Like when they started getting into internet crimes against children, the internet was just starting. So we had this amazing kind of resource available to us by guys who'd basically seen networks start off by, you know, CB radio, you know, those old school kind of trucker radios to um, what it is now, which is um, highly mobile, highly agile, mini groups on WhatsApp to these giant, sprawling networks on the dark web. So, yeah, I mean, having the access to them was just, um, I mean, we couldn't have told the story if it wasn't for them. We couldn't have told the story the way that we wanted to tell the story, which is really a top-down view. We could have got snapshots if we worked with other people, but having John and Paul front and centre in the documentary, was um, amazing. And, you know, the entree that they gave us to the rest of the law enforcement community, the NGOs and the tech companies that provide solutions to find the children in the pictures, it's it's just been amazing.
0: Right. So let me go back because I realised I didn't let you answer. What happened to you where you said, I think I need to make a movie about this? Once you started to learn from this one guy and other people you were speaking with said, I think I got to make a movie about this? Because before this, you made a a terrific movie about surfing and big waves and you've done Not Geo stuff and you've been exploring (laughs) the world and then now we're going to do child exploitation. Let's go.
1: I mean, it was one of those ones where, um, you know, like I kind of went at it by myself for about five or six years and um, finally got to the stage where, you know, I was – I could have filmed, you know, like I basically I could have picked up a camera and started shooting. So I needed like development funding and um, when I went to our film funding organisations that we have in Australia, I mean, the, the, the shock and disbelief that they had over this story, that this existed. I mean, I think there, 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 are, there are several kind of motivating factors. Number one, I, it was just one of those stories where I was like, it was just beyond belief. I mean, how often do you come across stories in your life where it's just like, this is like, truth is so much stranger than fiction. And then when you kind of look at what's at stake, of course, that was motivating for me. Um, being a father, I think just being a human being in general, you're motivated um, to tell the story. But the the issue was never whether we should tell the story. Of Of course we should. I mean, the world needs to know that this goes on. But it's whether we could. I mean, how do you tell a story when you can't use any pictures, the descriptions of what happens to the kids? It's necessary to um, let people know that, you know, it's the, the material's not kids frolicking on the beach. It's, you know, it, 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 it's severe sexual abuse of the highest order. So how do you, how do you do that and tell that in a way where, your audience can still engage with the topic and not run away in fear was kind of like our biggest our biggest mission did we pull it off successfully i think we we did our level best we
0: no you, we, did. We, we you definitely did you did you yeah you pulled it off no you absolutely pulled it off because it's a really hard thing to think about and to watch but you were able to evoke enough so that I know I understood what you were talking about and I needed to pay attention without saying, oh no, I can't hear anymore. Because of course what you want or see anymore, what you want is to is to open people's eyes, right? So you 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 were able to do it. You did it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Look, I mean we're and, and we're and we're still we're still going, you know what I mean? We're 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 still selling the documentary. Into TV stations, and um, we have an we have an impact campaign that is geared to you know encouraging that conversation, educating where possible, and uh, creating legislative reform. So you know, but just before that screening in LA, the documentary was screened at the United Nations in Vienna and the sixty member countries that. Um, Turned up and watched the film. They screened the film, and then they proposed a ratification to the rights of children. And there wasn't even a debate. The, Excellent. The Excellent. All member countries signed on the spot. But trying to trying to get it onto TV screens—that's our next big mission, I guess. We've yeah, we've hit a few walls. You know, we've hit a few walls. I think um, if you're kind of looking at the big kind of streamers. uh, streaming platforms of the world. They're happy to show you a documentary about Epstein, Jeffrey Epstein, Michael Jackson, R. Kelly, Jimmy Savile. And the reason is because you have a villain to shake your fist at and boo, and oftentimes they end up dying. So, you know, you can feel a sense of satisfaction that justice has been served. But what our documentary unfortunately does at the end is we turn a mirror back onto us because we are the ones who are helping facilitate the modern iteration of children being abused and that's um, the access abusers have to children via mobile phones. That's right. Cellular phones.
0: That's right, that's right, yeah. Now you're also doing something. Part of your outreach is, uh, and I've I'll, I've actually submitted pictures of myself as a child, where you're asking for pictures of children to train AI to recognize unsafe pictures online. I, I find that's fascinating.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, it's it's a it's an area that will grow and change and expand over the over the next few years. Yes, there's a, um, a university in Australia that is trying to teach their AI um, the difference between adult and child features to be able to, you know, scan. We're also in development for a mobile phone application that parents and kids have on their own phones where parents can see their child's online activity, like know what apps the, ch- the their kids are using see who they're talking to. And yes, it does perform the function of uh, protection and prevention, but we also want to use it as a platform for education. Parents are so often in the dark about what their kids' behaviours are online that we can, you know, by facilitating this type of interaction, we can actually use it as, the analogy that I use is like an internet driver's licence. So teach it to kids as soon as they're, internet curious, which at this age, you know, in this day and age is probably about six
2: Mm. on
1: iPads and mobile devices where, you know, parents can say, okay, instead of introducing them to the whole world of the internet, here's two safe platforms that you can interact on and you can only interact on for a certain amount of time. And, you're not allowed to talk to these people. You're only allowed to talk to people that I know. You know, it just helps parents give, um, like, n- not feel that they're in free fall, and um, you know, their children are just basically just waiting to be picked off like fish in a barrel, which is the case at the moment. Like, make no qualms about it. You know, they believe in a- in Australia. The statistic is about seventy five percent of children aged around thirteen have been approached by somebody that they don't know online
0: that's right and and they're also they're finding them via the the gps that are in the apps so uh, a predator will know when the kid goes to the mall right because he says i've had a fight with my mom i'm going to the mall and the predator goes and get him right i mean it's on the it's on the app
1: yeah i mean look you know the 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 um the risk of in person contact is definitely increased whether that means offenders will take advantage of that i don't know because from what i've seen they can get all their sexual needs met by what kids can do on phones right make wow. content for them it's wow. just as horrific as the abuse that's been um, committed hands on i'll give you an example Facebook last year internally reported 90 million instances of suspicious use on their platform. 90 million. Now, one of these reports was kind of a bit innocuous, just an investigator going, it just doesn't feel right. It landed on the desk of Argos. <laughs> Unfortunately, in Australia, we had to contact our telco that charge Argos for the reports Hmm. and also take their sweet time delivering the IP address of the user. Now, that user was um, a human rights lawyer, law professor, married, father of three, who, when they opened up his computer, had 600 victims. His age preference was around seven or eight. Now, these kids were committing violent acts of self-abuse on themselves, on uh, siblings, on peers, on strangers, uh, on family pets. This guy had complete control over these children, 600 of them. They managed to identify 150, so there's still 300 or so children out there that still think this guy has control over them. (sighs) Wow. The the duress that this guy is putting on them still and you know he was just controlling it all from a laptop at home in his study. Wow. And and these figures are not these figures aren't, you know, unique anymore. There's there's abusers out there that have <clears throat> anywhere from, you know, fifteen to fifteen hundred victims. They just Keep going, keep trolling, and there's just more and more kids online, um, with easy mechanisms to go and uh, be able to contact them.
0: Mm-hmm. And as you talked about at the beginning, being exposed to this took quite a toll on you, and I know it. It has taken a toll on the investigators as well. That they, how, how can you, how can it not, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, how can it not but you know they they have their best practices, you know there are certain things that they do that I didn't know about, like you you never watch the video with the audio there's just you 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 analyze both of them individually. It's too much of a sensory overload uh yeah there's and there's just ways of um you know being able to you know just decompress after work. But, yeah, I mean, I I did find that, um, look, a a lot of the times the police were so open and so giving with their time and talking about it in detail because this was the first time they ever really got the opportunity to do so. Ah, really? Um, Mm -hmm. You can, I mean, look, you can talk about it in a work sense when you're on the job and needing to investigate but a lot of the time you're in front of your computer the other investigator could be on the other side of the world in front of their computer it's a very solitary kind of way of working in a way it's collaborative but it's solitary in terms of you know the day to dayness of it all and then when you are being social it's the last thing you want to talk about and you don't want to bring it home you don't want to cause vicarious trauma by talking to your loved ones about it so a lot of the times you do have to wear the weight of it and, yeah, look, I mean, I, I, I look, I know I can, I can talk openly about it and they're cool with me doing so, but, you know, like I've talked to a very senior kind Homeland Security that, you know, I interviewed eight years ago over this one piece of content and then for the podcast series, which I'll tell you about in a minute, um, that's coming out soon. Yeah, I mean, we talked about it again and um, his eyes welled up. And this guy's, you know, a 30-year veteran. it it can still affect you but you know I think it was that that opportunity as well to go you know I am going to let it out I am going to tell the world that what I've seen and the effects it's had on me these people aren't superhuman they're human beings and they wear the you know they wear the large responsibility and the weight of this for the rest of us.
0: Right, let me ask you then, for because now you, you've you made the film, you're out there, you're screening the film, mm-hmm. you're trying to sell it into different markets, mm-hmm. you're talking about it a lot, mm-hmm. even you're talking about this podcast, you're still living in it. It's still part of your day-to-day, right?
1: Oh, yeah, I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to stop. Where um, So the things that I've got on my calendar, we're releasing – through iTunes and Spotify um, outside their paywall. Um, that's their contribution to it. An eight-part series that is basically a deep dive into Argos's first deep cover takeover of a dark website and it looks at it through the eyes of the investigators who have to assume the identities of these abusers. I mean, can you imagine what that's like as a job?
0: Um, oh, just horrific, I'm sure.
1: Yeah. And we go into a lot more detail about the effects of the victim and the nature of the perpetrator as well. And it's a, it's a real global story. Look, it's a killer cops and robbers story on that aspect of it. But yeah, the other messages that we've got that are intertwined in it, yeah, it's, it's gonna be a really powerful series. So that, that'll come out in November. In November, I've got a screening for your Congress in the States that's being facilitated by my government And um, the UK government as well, which is amazing. We've got, you know, governments now collaborating with each other and saying that this is a part of the fight against child exploitation, raising awareness and having the discussions and doing things like this, like being on this podcast. This is part of the fight. So I'm not going to stop. Also, John Rouse, God bless him, a couple of years ago went to my home country, India, took unpaid leave, mind you, and set up a task force, Argos, in a state in the south of India, next door to my home state. And in their first year, they rescued 60 children. 3rd wow. they're, they're having their third anniversary. So I'm going to go and do it in my home state. I'm talking to the police there, and John and I are going over in September. We're going to meet my local police and... Um, you know the Australian government and the UK government are are right behind it as well.
0: Right. So, um, so the series you talked about will also be called the Children in the Pictures. Correct. Excellent. And that's a limited podcast series.
1: No, 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 no. It'll be it'll it's it's eight episodes, but it'll be up for it'll be up for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. will as soon as we release episode zero, which is our trailer. Mm -hmm. We'll um, send you all the details to pass around to your members. There'll be a QR code and they can access all the episodes um, for free.
0: Wow, that's really great. That's great. And you can imagine having these task forces all over the world because part of what I learned in the film is that it's really the international collaborations that are working but they're also the most difficult to put in place.
1: Yeah. I mean, look, you know, I think um, (laughs) – It's funny being a citizen of, a global citizen, an Australian national, but having a strong cultural and spiritual connection with my own country, India. And I honestly think that this is one of our opportunities where, apart like, instead of just arguing about the detrimental effects of colonialism, this is one way that the West can apply acquired knowledge to help with an emerging crime type. In India, it will absolutely skyrocket when you have close to three quarters of a billion people having access to online, high-speed online devices in the next three or four years. It's a recipe for disaster. And we know the effects that it has on the victim, it's a crime that will echo and reverberate through a person's life for the rest of their lives. Yes. So it might seem that we're trying to just you know protect the, the innocent and the the vulnerable, but we're trying to also future proof. That's right. The rest of, to
0: save their lives forevermore.
1: Forevermore, <laughs> you know, and and also we, we know that the the detrimental effects it has on abusers. Now, sometimes, you know, people don't have the education enough to realise that this isn't just some, yeah, some sort of like frivolous form of sexual expression that they're kind of exploring or they're doing something a little bit naughty or untowards. This is is disastrous, especially if you get caught doing this. I mean, your life's ruined. So looking at it from that perspective as well, we need to um, (laughs) really show how disastrous this crime type is, and, you know, there'll come a time when we need to actually put a dollar figure to it of how much this is costing society hmm. in terms of the rehabilitation of children, in terms of the resources that need to be spent to monitor the web, um, to keep the Argoses of the world running. And, I mean, America, my God, you are so far behind in terms of investigative strength. I mean, you've got some of the best in the game in your backyard, like Homeland Security, the FBI guys, you know, various teams in ICAC, but your funding is like negligible compared to what the rest of the world spends on it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think a country like Australia has spent like more than three times the amount of money, and we're, you know, we're only 20, 25 million people. Yeah, well, we um, should
0: be ashamed. We should be ashamed.
1: Oh, yeah. uh, look, I mean, be ashamed or be educated, you mm. know? I don't think shame does us any good. But, you know, admitting it is the first step, you know? Like admitting just that I'm behind. We, we, we need help. We, we, we're not, we can't just be expected to um, deal with everything ourselves, especially a country like America. I mean, you guys are the, the cultural metronome for the rest of the world. You are the largest economy of the world. There's so much riding on your shoulders, and we know that the current political situation is in um, the states. I've never seen you know a country in so much pain and so fractured as as America is at the moment. You know, but believe you me, and hear me, hear me as loud as I can say it. In these situations of schism. And in these situations of conflict, this is where the abusers breed. This is how they grow. Every situation of turmoil is a situation of opportunity for the people who have violent desires against our children.
0: Yeah, I think that's interesting because, because even on, on a micro level, that is true. One of the reasons why so much I wanted to speak to you is, as you know, I work with youth in foster care and foster youth are particularly vulnerable population for trafficking of all kinds and it often happens when they're very very young in homes where all they want is love and attention and safety and instead what happens is they are exploited in a variety of different ways and then they end up becoming exploiters and it it becomes a generational problem. One of my most recent guests was trafficked by her mother when she was four years old. She found out a little later as a young adult that her mother also had been trafficked for drugs. And so it's just this pattern that is happening. And it is very much the result of the turmoil at home and the ability of the people who are the abusers to spot it, to take advantage of it and perpetuate it.
1: Yeah, I mean, one of the, one of the big growing crime types or iterations of this crime type is on-demand on streaming of abuse. So it's basically pay-per-view abuse. A, a, a huge billion-dollar industry in the Philippines, which is a perfect storm of high-speed broadband and extreme poverty. Wow. And yeah. a lot of the times the parents will or the parents or the caregivers or whatever will abuse those children. And yeah, there's I mean, there's been intergenerational prostitution in those in those families, sometimes for five or six generations. You know, great-grandmothers were prostitutes. So mm-hmm. you know, I mean to, to consider it normal, I think is a little bit um I, yeah I, I think you know for them to view them as considering normal is is misunderstanding the situation. they understand that there is an economic value to the very young more more so than their economic value mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they know that there's a market out there for it. so if the sexual exploitation of a child if one 20-minute session of sexual exploitation of a child can feed a family for a week, then it's going to be very hard for them not to take that up as an option. And also the whole, the whole factor that it's not hands-on abuse technically. They seem to, they seem to think that it's not as, um, not as horrific for the child.
0: You mean that they're not being hit, let's say. Instead they're being sexually abused but they're not being beaten so it's not as bad. Well,
1: they're not being like left alone with a stranger in a hotel room. Oh, I see, I see. They're just being abused over a web camera by, by, wow. by a family member or, you know, often the time they, they let the other children abuse themselves or other kids. I mean, I don't think there's anything or any form of child abuse that um, is worse or more detrimental than another form. I think um, there's just something about that key pillar of a child's development, that sexual pillar that once it's tampered with just has disastrous effects and it could be very subtle or it could be um, incredibly, you know, overt the abuse, but um, the the damage can you know, vary from individual to individual. It's, it's just all horrific to me.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I really appreciate hearing you talk with a great deal of, I want to say grace or a great deal of generosity uh, around a very difficult topic that even when I said, they should, you know, we should be ashamed, you said, well, shame isn't really the answer here or shame isn't what you need to really focus on. It's there are more important things. It's the humanity of it. And trying to find solutions in order to prevent this kind of thing and by, and to prevent children's lives by being ruined. And the abusers'
1: lives. And the abusers' lives. You know, we never talk about the, we never talk about the abuser too much, but um, we need to because it's um, for several reasons. The abusers are becoming younger and younger. Mm -hmm. Some of the guys who are running these forums, these massive online forums of, you know, one and a half, two million people are under 30. They've cut their teeth and they've grown up with a culture of child abuse. They probably Mm -hmm. had an awkward feeling or a desire that they were ashamed of. And who can they turn to? Their parents, the police priest, the doctor, no one. So they go online and there's people waiting for them. That's right. i'll tell them that it's all right.
0: They find a community. They find a community. They find a community. Find a
1: community. Just I'm not, as you said at the beginning. Yeah. Now, I'm mm-hmm. not trying to justify that behaviour in any way, shape or form. I think that, you know, anyone who's seen that material, anyone who with a with a heart, a soul who's seen that material knows that it's wrong. They can justify it, rationalise it as much as they want. In fact, a lot of the chatter on the boards, they don't even give a shit about rationalising it anymore. They know that it's there for their own sexual gratification. But look, you know, people ask me, they're like, oh, my God, has it become an obsession for you or whatever? You know, you're still in it. You're still promoting the film. You want to do all these other things. Like, why do you keep going? (laughs) And strangely enough, working with the people that I've worked with, it's actually made me realise that there's good in the world.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: These people are doing it, and good may not have to exist in some halcyon rainbows and unicorns and pink cloud world with the absence of evil. Good might have to exist despite evil. It's it. I mean, looking at the images that I've seen, it does make me it does make me have a different comprehension and different definition of what evil is. And I do strongly believe that there is evil in the world, but I also believe that there's good in the world, and we have to we have to work a lot harder for good to emerge.
0: I can't help but smile because I hear church bells in the background where you are. Yeah,
1: I live. Uh, it's good timing, right?
0: Oh my gosh! <laughs> I, I, I'm not particularly religious, but I love the sound of a good bell. And uh wow. I
1: love I love my I love my church bells. <laughs> <It's>
0: wonderful. <laughs> so I, I wanna ask you one other thing that I ask all my guests and what is the one thing that no one would ever know about you unless you told them?
1: Um, it's something that I don't talk about often, but what I've actually realised about myself is that um, the access to the material that I've been able to see was just the straw that broke the camel's back. I had, um, I'd been suffering trauma For a long time, I've had some horrific stuff happen to me as a child. Violent, extremely violent, terrifying acts happened to me under the age of six. You know, I was tied to a fence by, you know, local bullies and covered in kerosene and they were flicking matches at me and I was like six years old. And for some reason, I had... um, come to believe that that was some sort of rite of passage and what I've realized now is that I just learned how to accept the unacceptable and that's something a lot of people don't know about me I think a lot of people kind of think that you know like I'm a I mean I'm a a tall guy I'm a big guy you know I've got scars all over my face I'm you know I I like a good adventure all that sort of swashbuckling shit. But um I think a lot of the times it's just been um you know my own quest to um you know protect the child within me, um look after the child within me. Uh that's why I feel very strongly about it. I guess that's that that that's one really big deep thing about me. Another thing is that you know my best friend was abused uh by a teacher at school and never told anyone. In fact, I was the only person that he shared that with. And um, it's come to light that there were many more kids at my school that were abused by these two teachers. And I think that there's always been a part of me from finding that out at the age of, I think I was about nine when he told me, um, to now in my 50s where this this is for him as well. This is, and this is for all victims of abuse. You know, there's no statutes of limitation on getting well and receiving the love and tenderness and kindness that was denied to them as children. So that's one of my, you know, my big motivations. I'll never forget the impact that it had on him and I never want to either, you know. Mm.
0: I know it's very hard work that you're doing. It's, it's also very heroic work. I, I, I think you know that. You probably wouldn't say that about yourself. You'd talk about maybe, you know, the Team Argos in that way. But it is truly heroic work, and not only because of the effect that you're having on, on the people who see the movie, but also because I can see the humanity in you growing as you're talking about it. I don't know how to say that exactly right, but I think you know what I mean, right?
1: It, I would be lying if I'd said that, you know, this hasn't caused me to, um, you know, stop and reconsider some of the things in my own life, look at my past behaviors, look at certain actions and decide to myself that, well, you know, that it's just not the way that I want to live. Um, I'm I'm really open to acknowledging my own personal mistakes. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, you know, like a lot of people have said, you know, you're very brave and you're very heroic and stuff like that. Um, and I'm you, not and, the only
0: one who said that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, what? <laughs> I, I don't. I, 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 you know, I'm, I'm, I, I am actually quite. I'm actually pretty shy um, when it comes to things like that. I don't take compliments. Very well. But um you know, look, one of the big things that's gotten me through is uh transcendental meditation. You know, I work with the David Lynch Foundation. Please, if your listeners are out there, please go and check out the David Lynch Foundation, learn about transcendental meditation. It's an amazing resource for um survivors of um yeah, of any type of trauma. In fact, we're we're gonna be teaching the technique to any volunteer that wants it at Argos and give that to them as a resource as well. It's kind of like my way of saying thanks to the Argos team. And, you know, also a part of my mantra, which is, you know, like I'm here to, these people, you know, they protect and serve. And I believe that, you know, a part of my job is to serve those that protect as well. So, yeah, I mean, I I guess that, a spiritual solution or a spiritual remedy to um, our internal maladies is something that, yeah, I've definitely sought out as, as a result of this work. And I think that that's just made me a, a better human being all around. My kids seem to think so. <laughs> uh,
0: uh- I do. I, I, I Just in the few moments we've been together, I can see the angels are uh, hovering over you and then the church bells <laughs> rung. So, I mean, it's pretty. Hey, I, I want to thank you for taking the time to speak with me. But I also want to thank you for what you said when I first spoke for you. In, uh, I said, I know you're a very busy man, but and you said, I'm never too busy to talk about this. Yeah. Yeah. So and I, I appreciate that.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, like I've um after the LA screening, I've I've been to um, I've been to like um law enforcement screenings in Arkansas. We're organising a lot more law enforcement screenings, and like I said, we're going to be presenting in front of Congress. It's yeah, I'll, I'll. I mean, I've got other documentary projects I'm going to be working on. It's not just going to be this for the rest of my life, but. I'll always be involved with this for the rest of my life. You know, whenever I'm, whenever I'm asked to do something for this particular issue and cause, I'll never say no. And I can say the same for my team as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Actually, now that you brought it up, my one last question is. So what? What's next that you dream of? You said you've got other stuff you're working on. Like, what would be one or two things you say? Ah, this is what this is what I've always wanted to do, and one day I'm going to do that, or I'm going to do that next, or
1: oh, in terms of documentary stuff or film projects,
0: or having more children, or becoming a
1: now fifty three. <laughs> now that's it. I'm I'm going to go and get the snip for the rest for the world. Or <laughs> no, look, you know I'm. Um, you know, I'm I'm blessed with a beautiful 22 year old who, you know, I was really open with during this whole process, and um, you know, I got her I got her through the woods, out through the woods, and so did she. You know, she's a smart cookie; she never felt victim to you know any outside abuse, and we kind of feel like you know, like we'll be able to do that for the little one as well, the seven year old. Um, and you know, she's a she's a person that's. In a serious, committed relationship and um you know, I think like her mum, she'll she wants to be a young, active mother as well. So I have been actually sitting around fantasizing about um being a granddad. Um <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that'd be that'd be amazing. I get my baby fix in that way. <laughs> um
0: That's right. That's right. And you have the beard for it now, right? I've got so. the beard for it, yeah. All right, but what about f- a film or uh, or is there something else?
1: Yeah, look, it's it's amazing the way that you know, like a film like this can start um, generating interest in other projects. There's um, a guy here who's facing a lifetime prison sentence for uh, blowing the whistle on um, military crimes committed by Australian soldiers in Afghanistan. Mm. Um, it's it's a a topic that you know, has emerged in the States. There's huge investigations going yes. on in England at the moment. Um, and he's trusted me to tell his story. And it's an amazing story. Um, not, a, not only what's happened in terms of what he's done, but um, his life's pretty cool too, pretty interesting. So, um yeah, I want to look at that. And I also want to look at what I call Generation XXX, you know, the kids that, have been born into a world of online pornography and easy access to pornography and have a look at um, basically neuro neuroplasticity, like having a look at um, the way that they're changing and also, you know, what a few brave young people are doing to try and um, break free of um, the grip of internet porn addiction, which is... Um, mm. Yeah, it's it's really really inspirational. It's heartbreaking. It's absolutely heartbreaking to see these young people suffer. I mean, I'm 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 used to uh seeing people battle with drug addiction issues, but this is just as powerful and just as tragic.
0: So you have your work cut out for you.
1: Yeah, I got I got the next couple of years sorted out and um yeah, like you know, if I can keep on going around and developing this module of um setting up victim ID squads throughout my home country and other countries yeah I'd 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 really love to do that I'd love to do that
0: yeah that's awesome 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 work yeah yeah well thank you Dev you're uh, you're quite a man and you've made a great movie you've made many great movies I'm sure I'm gonna watch them all after this but especially the surfing thing
1: yeah that was cool that was fun (laughs) the
0: big wave one (laughs) that was super fun (laughs) well as you said, you're an adventurer, right? That must have been pretty adventurous.
1: Yeah, yeah, that was a good adventure. I also like lived with a tribe of nomadic gypsies in India for a, for a while. That was pretty wild. That's
0: right. That's right. What's the name of that the film? What's the name of that film? The Final Sacrifice. Okay, excellent. All right, you have a good day. And yeah, I'll be and getting in touch with thank you, you again um, when
1: the podcast is about to be released. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. fantastic.
0: And th- thank you for talking to me from across the world. Pleasure.
1: Pleasure was mine. Thank you,
2: Dev, for this incredibly insightful and compelling story about your personal journey working with Team Argos. Despite the resilience of our children, none of them should be victims of this kind of insidious sexual abuse. Clearly, your film, The Children in the Pictures, shows how important it is that our leaders become educated about these crimes so that they can take direct action. Because without the necessary funding and a unified focus, to stop this exploding market of child abuse on the dark web, it will continue to grow. So thank you for joining us today and sharing this story. Thank you. Our next guest is Angela Quijada-Banks. She's a former foster youth and an NAACP Image Awards nominee and American award-winning author of the Black Foster Youth Handbook. As a transformational speaker, she's touched thousands with her message to alchemize pain to purpose and power. So join us next week for Anala Quijada Banks. Thank you and be well. If you see something, say something. If you suspect a child's health or safety is jeopardized in any way by parents or anyone else, contact the Child Protective Services Agency in your county. 24-hour hotlines are staffed by trained social workers who will help you through the process and you can do so anonymously. In California, you can call the Child Protection Hotline at 800-540-4000. So if you see something, say something. You might be saving a child's life. If you want to know more about becoming a CASA anywhere in the country, go to nationalcasagal.org. And in LA, casala.org. And if you want to know more about becoming a foster parent, check out the National Foster Parent Association at nfponline.org. There's also faithfosterfamilies.org and adoptuskids.org. There's tons of other information online as well so you can just hunt around. We also want to thank the supremely talented Christina Apostolopoulos for her beautiful original music. You can find her music on Spotify or Instagram at Christina Apostol. And also thank you to Yukon Har for his engineering. Thanks for listening. And if you like what you hear and you find it as valuable as we do, please rate us and hit subscribe. You can also make a donation at bonusbabies.org. See you next time.